Good morning again to everyone. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to grab them and open them up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to continue plodding our way through the book of Romans, or I should say riding our way through, right? Romans chapter 12. We're going to be reading the first eight verses this morning, and I'll be reading out of the ESV, so um, those of you that have a different translation, the words might be a little bit different, but just follow along with me. I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll read from the Word of God. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful again, Lord. Thank you, um, God, for this incredible salvation. Lord, the work that you do in salvation is a work that only the Spirit of God can accomplish. Lord, we as people cannot save another human being. It is a work that only you do through the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of your people. And Lord, my prayer is, as it is every single week, that Lord, I know there probably are some here that are, that are in, in this service this morning and some that are listening and watching this morning, God, that maybe they've never responded to this gospel message. Now, Lord, they, they just simply think that acknowledgement that God exists is what it means to be a Christian. Lord, that's really just the beginning. That is a true work of the Spirit of God when they understand that they are a sin, sinner that's separated from God and that just simply believing in God is not what saves, but it is faith in Christ and what He has done in a regeneration of their very soul and spirit as God then plants the Spirit of God in them and changes their life. There are those that have contemplated the cost of following Christ, and they don't know whether they would rather go the way of the world or go the way of the cross, and, and they're torn between the two. But God, I pray, Lord, that they, would, that they would surrender and submit, Lord, to your lordship, and that they would understand that the greatest gift that's ever been given is this salvation, and that today is the day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us that are here this morning, that are in Christ, Lord, we're all at different places in our walk with you. Some have just at the beginning point of their walk. Lord, they've just begun to live this new life. For some of us, Lord, we've been living this life for many years. And Lord, you're still changing us and making us more like your son. We're still failing and you're still forgiving and still mercy and grace is being poured out in our life every single day. But we're, we're moving and moving with Christ. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, the Apostle Paul is going to remind us again this morning as he wrote this letter many years ago to the church of Rome about what it means to be in Christ and what has happened to each and every one of us and what is available for all who will simply believe. And Lord, I pray that you will save people today that do not know you. That God, you will radically change their life. That they will repent of their old way and turn and follow after you. There's only one road that leads to Christ, to God, and that is through Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, reading along here in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we will read the first eight verses, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Paul continues here in chapter 12 now. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches is in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the Apostle Paul here, we know, is writing to the Christians, the early church there, the early Christians that, had, that were living in Rome at the time. And Paul now, for 11 chapters, has been laying the foundation of the gospel. He has been building the foundation of what the gospel is all about. And although these believers had probably heard this when they heard Peter preaching there at Pentecost and the other disciples themselves speaking now in, in other languages of those that were gathered around there hearing this gospel, they no less uh, probably heard this gospel and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and made their way back to Rome and the church began. It was those that were set apart. And we learned about this last week, what it means for us to be holy. It simply means that we're to be all in. God was all in with us when he saved us and what he's provided in salvation, and that we now are all in. We're in with Christ. We are completely all in. And so Paul wants to tell them that now that you understand what it means to be in Christ, that you now offer the parts of your bodies that you used to offer one time to unrighteousness, gratifying the things of our flesh, the sinful desires of this world. He says now that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that you have been placed in Christ. He says now offer the parts of your body that you once offered to sin. He says now offer those parts of your body separated unto God for his purpose, for his work. Do that now in a way that glorifies and honors God. And we really had a great picture last week, I believe, of what it meant to be all in. And so today we're going to continue on with the theme of what it means to be all in. And so Paul is going to basically kind of re, re-emphasize what he's already taught. And Paul is going to do this over and over, and he already has. And so if you'll back up just a little bit in Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29, we all love this verse. And if you'll remember, um, of course, this verse is oftentimes misused. Um, in, in, in the life of believers, and it's misquoted, but nonetheless, Paul the Apostle is sharing with us something absolutely incredible here about what it means for us to be in Christ. And in Romans eight twenty eight, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, we know as we went through this, not everything that happens in life is good. There are many things that happen in our life that are not good. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that now that you have been placed in Christ Jesus, that God is working all things in life for our good. He is the only one who can do that in a world that is fallen, sinful, and full of all kinds of heartache and dismay. And then he moves on and says this, 
in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is saying here in Romans 8 that what's happened to us is there's something that God is doing. God's purpose in our salvation has many reasons, but one of the things that God is doing in your salvation and in my salvation is he is conforming us into the image of someone. That we are being conformed, it says, into the image of who? His son, Jesus Christ. That is who we are being conformed into, the image of Christ. And that is what's happening in this journey of the Christian walk. What God's purpose is in our life is that from the time that we are saved in regeneration, that we will, in this whole journey of life, God will conform us into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. If you remember back to, to Genesis, God did something incredible. When God began to make the earth and form the earth and he began to separate the waters and he, he made the, the land separate from the seas and then God begins to make creation and he begins to multiply the earth and all the things that he began to do, it says that he made man and he created man. The only thing he's created to do something, he created them in the likeness of his image that God actually created man in his image. There's nothing else that's been created in the likeness or the image of God. Man has been. And then when Satan came into the garden and he tempted Eve and she succumbed under the authority of Satan along with Adam who was created in the image of God and should have been there over his wife protecting and guarding her, when he came under the authority of Satan, man fell in sin and because of that every human being that is born from the time of Adam until this very day is born in the image of Adam, the fallen image. We all were. Because Adam was given authority and dominion now to rule over the entire earth. That's what God told Adam he was to do. Why? Because God was going to rule over the earth through man. God creating man in his image was going to do that through Adam. Satan came, disfigured the whole thing, polluted the whole thing, and then man fell under the, the sin. And now all men are born in sin, the Bible says. And he reiterates this all through Romans. So when Jesus Christ came, something incredible happened. God in himself came and took upon flesh and now dwelt among men. This is God, the incarnation of God in Christ. And now he is going to now bring back the very glory of God unto humanity. And God himself in flesh comes now and dwells among men and lives a perfect life. And he now makes a way for the fallen man in Adam to be regenerated unto the new creation and the likeness of God in Christ. And God now is reversing everything that happened in the Garden of Eden. This is what has happened to you 
You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus that you were once in sin, alienated from God, dead in your trespasses and sin. And what did God do in Christ? He provided a way for man to be made right in the likeness and the image bearing of God now in the new creation of the new man. That's what's happening in your life and in my life. That we were once bearing the image of Adam and our flesh still bears the image of Adam. But spiritually we've been reborn and we're made new in the likeness and in the transforming now of becoming like the son of God himself. The very image of God. That's what God is doing in your life and in my life. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Christ is the image of the invisible God. What are we doing? This is incredible that God would have in his own sovereignty designed this. Now, don't, don't miss this this morning. This is absolutely incredible what God has done. God is transforming you and I into the image of his son. That's what he's doing. That's exactly what he is about. So look with me in 2 Corinthians quickly, 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you'll flip over there, we'll look and see what Paul says here also to the church in Corinth. He's, he's repeating these things over and over about what's taking place. So here we go in 2 Corinthians. Flip over there just a little bit further through the New Testament there. Flip over there. It's on 2226 in my Bible. Not in yours, I'm sure. But So in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians in verse 18, it reads as follows. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So God is doing a transforming work in the lives of his people. That's why Paul says to those in Rome and for us today, he says, because of the mercies of God and because of this incredible salvation, understanding that you are now made alive with Christ, that the old man has died. And Paul uses this over and over and over in the New Testament in, in his writings. He talks about you and I being in Christ, that we are in Christ. We've been placed in Christ. He says just a few chapters back that you and I were buried with Christ in his baptism and raised to walk in a new life, that we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians, where Paul writes to that church. Over and over, Paul says, you now have been placed in Christ. And now we're going to get a great picture here of what Paul is teaching you and me about this incredible salvation. One thing that we need to understand, and Paul makes it very clear, and God in his incredible sovereignty has done this. In the cowboy world and the cowboy culture, from the time that we're very, very, very young, our dads and our grandfathers have taught us, not only by example, but by expectation and by training, that what we are to do is we are to learn to be able to accomplish things on our own. That, that what we don't do is we don't ask for help. How many of you know that's true? In fact, we take a lot of pride in being able to do something that might require two or three people, and we were able to get it done by ourselves, and we were patting ourselves on the back as the gray hair continues to grow. 
And so we've learned this independence, all about our independence and our identity is in some of those things that there's a lot of pride wrapped up in that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in the body of Christ, God has so designed his body that, that no one can be completely, totally complete in and of themselves. It cannot happen. That he's designed the body to be something that has to be used and needed to be complete. It can't happen any other way. And so Paul now is going to express and teach them about what Christ is meaning here about the body of Christ. And he's, he's going now into this in more detail. So let me begin to take you through this. So as we make our way down here, in verse 4 it says, For... As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts, he says, according to the grace that is given us. So what is he doing here? Now, those of you who have been a Christian for a while and have been under some good teaching and studying, you understand that Christ is the head of the body. You understand that. But Christ is seated with the Father in heaven, but he's left something upon the earth. He left something here. Guess what he left? He left his body, the church, here on the earth. We are called, listen to this, the body of Christ. And in fact, those of you know anything about this body, that without the Spirit, there is no life in this body. I've done lots of funerals. And there at the graveside, when we're doing the committal service, and I'm explaining to them about what happens to the body and what's going to happen for Christians when Christ returns about this resurrection of the body, with confidence we know that there is no spirit in that body, in that coffin, going into the ground. It is empty. There's no life. And so what, what, what's happened here? is Jesus has done something incredible. God has done something incredible. Those of you know this, there's no life without a spirit. It's, it's impossible. When my spirit, when my body dies and my spirit leaves my body, there is no more life in me. My spirit goes on and lives. That's true. But my body is just there. It's just a tent that housed my spirit. So when Jesus was talking to his disciples about returning to the Father, he said something incredible. He said, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. For when I go, I'm going to ask the Father and he will send someone to you. He will send you the comforter. In fact, he is already here with, uh, with you, but he's going to be in you one day. And at Pentecost, guess what happened? The Spirit of God came and and dwelt those who were in Christ. And then they were able to live this life with power and authority and all the things that Christ did here upon the earth. And so we know that something happens here. If we are going to be the body of Christ, guess what Jesus did? He said, I'm going to the Father, and when I go, I'm going to send someone to be in you. And guess what he did? He sent his very spirit to come and indwell his very people. Why is that? Because without his spirit, there is no life. There is no new life. Before you were in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that you are dead. Spiritually, you're dead. You are of the old man, Adam. 
You were a slave to sin and to all the things that you once did. That was your nature. That's what you did. All men are born in Adam. But in Christ Jesus, something has happened. The Spirit of God has reborn us, and we are dwelt with the Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus, if his head is in heaven, and for his life to be on earth, guess where his spirit has to be? In the body that's here upon the earth. And so now what we have are individuals, you and me, all of us in here who are in Christ Jesus are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And what we are is the body of Christ. And so the purpose of the Spirit living in and through the body is to accomplish the will of Christ seated at the right hand of the Father who is doing the will of the Father and he's doing it upon the earth. Guess who? Through his body. So God is accomplishing his kingdom's manifesto, his plan from the foundation of the world, guys. Listen, this is incredible. He is doing it through the life-giving spirit that indwells the people upon the earth that have trusted in Jesus Christ and have been reborn in this new creation and this new life. So now, here upon the earth, the Spirit does only what he sees the Father doing in Jesus. This is all in communion. And what is the Holy Spirit doing in our life? He is leading and directing and transforming us and renewing us. And we now are living here upon the earth to fulfill the will of the Father on the earth through the body of Christ that has been given the Spirit to indwell it and give it life and power and all the things it needs to accomplish the will of the Father on the earth. That's absolutely incredible. How many of you would give up one part of your body? Some of you would. But there's certain parts of your body you couldn't give up and live. You couldn't give up your heart, right? Without your heart, you're gone. Personally, I think if I was going to give something up, I'm thinking maybe my pinky finger. Maybe. Although it's got a pretty good use now and then. But even if I was to give my finger up and lose my finger, it would change the dynamic of my hand and what I do and how I handle things. And so we all have members of the body, and without the members of the body, something happens. In fact, those of you that know if you've lost a leg or you lose an arm or you lose an eye or you lose something, a member of your body, you become something, you're giving a, a title. What is the title that people say about someone like that? They are disabled. Because what has happened is that you are not able to operate the way you once did when you had the whole entire body. Couldn't, can't do it. You can take a horse, and although in his youth, and maybe he's even wounded in his youth, maybe he's stifled or he gets navicular or whatever it might be, that horse, although he looks like a horse, he still eats like a horse, and he still does what a horse does, the truth is, he may have a purpose, but it's greatly limited because of his injury. No longer is he able to be used in a manner in which he may have been used. He becomes less productive and less useful when it comes to that tool being used. Well, if we are the body of Christ, and Paul says these things, that we are to be all in. And other, our members of our own personal body, he says, now you're set apart for the purpose and the glory, and you distinctly belong to God. So now offer the parts of your body to righteousness, because now you're in the kingdom of the Son. And then he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Why is that? Because the pattern of the world is all those things in Adam, that we once were. 
And so what the world is trying to do to you as a Christian is they're trying to pound you back into the mold of Adam. That's what they're doing. But what Christ is, what is happening to you through the spirit of Christ is he is in the work of transforming you into not the image of the old Adam, but he's into the transforming of the image of the second Adam is Christ. And so the Spirit of God is transforming you and you read the Word and it renews your mind. It changes the way that you look at things and the way that you see things and how you operate, how you do business and everything that happens, it begins to change. And in fact, what's absolutely incredible, and we're not going to get through all this this Sunday, but I want you to think about this. We understand what the word trans, uh, conform means. We, we get that. And we know that when we live in the flesh here upon the earth, although we've been regenerated by the Spirit, that we are constantly being bombarded with the flesh to be conformed now to the pattern of this world. By the way, the world's pattern is a wreck, by the way. Did you all notice that? But what he's called for the body of Christ with a new spirit, with a brand new man and brand new woman and a brand new life where you're buried with Christ, the old man is dead, you've been raised to new life, filled with the spirit of God, now God's going to begin to transform you into the image of his son. And that takes time. And he's transforming you. So this is very, very important. If I was to put a Hereford on the screen, Weston, do you have a Hereford? Just kidding, you don't have one. A Hereford has a distinct look. I can put a Hereford bull up there, and most of you would say, I know what that is. That's a Hereford. I can put a Charlet up there. I know what that is. That's a Charlet. I could put um, a Holstein up there. You might know what a Holstein is for you dairymen from down at Winthorpe. Obviously, you'd know what a Holstein was, right? And I could put different things up there, and you would know, because of the image, what they were. And that's what Paul is saying. Now that you begin to understand who you are in Christ and what God has done to you, now, he says, I'm going to transform you not into the conformed image of the old Adam and the pattern of our world, but now I'm going to begin to do a transforming work where now I begin to make you look more like the image of the Son. Isn't that incredible? There's a reason for that. So that when people look at us, as failed as we are and flawed as we are and as dysfunctional as we can be, by the grace of God, they're able to see something of the image of Christ in us. And Paul says, listen, those of you in Rome, if you continue to do the things of Rome, those who are lost in darkness will never see the image of Christ. They're never going to see what Jesus looks like when, when your enemy persecutes you and you do not retaliate, but you simply Continue to walk in love. That, that's, not, that's, not, that's not of the pattern of the world. That's a whole different element now. Or, or when you live in character and honesty and integrity and all those things, it's all of a sudden, and all, your language is different. You, you think differently. 
The things you post on your Facebook page don't look like the image of this old fallen world. Your images on Facebook that is really you. It starts to look like the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of God and a redeemed and transformed life. And if it doesn't, dear friend, and you're a Christian, that ought to convict you. When people look at your Facebook of who you are, it shouldn't be God bless America on one hand, I love Jesus, and four-letter words and cursing and all kinds of smut on the next post. That is a divided man, and that tells the whole world this is nothing but a bunch of baloney, and that you're an imposter and a fraud. What the world desperately needs, dear friend, they are in darkness. Paul says, for you in Rome, do you realize that God has placed you there, and you are the only light that dark world will ever see, and they need to see the image of Jesus Christ as flawed and human as you are. Crucify the old man, live by the power of the Spirit, and allow the transformation of the Holy Spirit to take over your life and begin to chisel and whack and cut and mold and press. And before long, you start having some of the attributes of who? The Son of God. But when the church has been more fashioned and molded by the world, And the image of Christ is not something that is being bore. Then no wonder those who are lost in darkness think they're good with God. That they're fine. And so Paul tells those in Rome, listen. Do not offer these things to the old Adam, to the former way of life. Why? Because that man died. It would be like going to a funeral and raising up the corpse, dragging him out of the casket, and begin to wave at people and do stuff, right? There's no life in him, but he's still moving around and doing things. Paul says, do you not know that when you became a believer in Christ, that you were buried with him in baptism, that you have been set free from sin, the power of it? And that now you've been given the grace and now you have become a bondservant of what? Righteousness. And that we need to lead the old man where the old man belongs. You know where he belongs? He belongs in the grave. And that now that the old man has been buried in Christ Jesus and the very spirit of God now has indwelt you as a new creation in Christ Jesus, the old man has been covered up with dirt. Guess what? Now I live a new life. Guess what my life is living to? It is living unto the Lord Jesus Christ. It is allowing him through his word and by his spirit to take someone as awful of a person as you and I are and chisel and transform us into the image of his son. That's pretty incredible. And so what is God doing here upon the earth? He's taken his church, his people. He's filled them with his spirit and gave them new life. And now they're new men and new women, flawed, still living in the flesh, still fighting against the flesh, still killing the old flesh, the old man, crucifying him daily, dying to the old man, and living unto the spirit. And now God says, let me tell you something. Now I'm going to accomplish my work upon the earth through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, if you're here today, and we'll get into this more next week, you are part 
of the body of Jesus Christ here upon the earth. That's incredible. What an incredible plan that God has had and is working out in the lives of his people. Next week, we will get into that a little more detail. But I do want to just share with you what this looks like, this word transformation. This word is used six times in the New Testament. It's the word transform. It's the word where we get our word metamorphosis from. A metamorphosis, that's changing form in keeping with the inner reality. The inner reality. So in other words, who we are on the inside starts to show on the outside. For example, and I, God is so good to even give us illustrations of this. You can take a caterpillar in a cocoon, and you can't see everything in that cocoon, but when that thing comes out, what do we see? There's a butterfly there. So what's happening there is although we have that on the inside is now revealing itself on the outside, it is a metamorphosis. It is a transformation that begins to happen. We are transformed into the same image, reproducing the same image. Remember that was the purpose of marriage? One of the purposes of marriage is that God through marriage, man and woman, would do what? Transform his image from generation to generation to generation. And now in Christ Jesus, he is transforming each and every one of us into the image of his son. Some of you out there say, well, John, he's working really slow at it. Some of you wives are saying, honey, are you listening? And the wives are saying, honey, I hope you are paying attention. The truth is, it is a process. But the great news of this is, that is the will and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, don't be conformed to the image or the pattern of this world. Why? Because you died to that. Praise God, you're not a part of the old world. Aren't you glad for that? We live in the world, but we're not of the world. The problem is with the church in America today, it lives in the world and it is of the world. And that's why the people in our communities can't see the church because the church doesn't look any different than the rest of them. But God says, no, my people are to be set apart wholly unto me. Is that not incredible? If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ Jesus, this is what Jesus has done in your life. He has filled you with his spirit. And we need to walk by the Spirit, be renewed by our own minds and the way that we think, by the reading of the Word of God, and allow Him the transforming work that He does in our life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, it matters not that you believe God or in a God. Lots of people believe in gods. I spent a week with a man this week from India. They have over 300 million gods. You can make a God of anything you want to make it of, and they worship it. The truth is there's only one God, and the only way to him, the Bible says, is through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ and you've not received his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace, not repented of your sinful life, understanding that in your death, in your, in your, in your sins and transgressions, that what's waiting for every one of us is, is a place called hell. It's eternal damnation, separation from God. But God, who is rich in mercy demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. 
He bore upon himself your sin and my sin and made a way for sinful men who were underneath the power of Satan, who were born in the image of Adam, who was sinful, broken in death. And Jesus Christ came to provide a way where you would receive his righteousness, that you would have new life, and that you would be placed in him for all eternity. His forgiveness is ready and real today. And if you do not know Jesus, I don't care if you're a teenager here today and you've heard this preaching for six, eight, ten months, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ today and God is calling your name, dear friend, please say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. One thing we're going to do as we close. In this over here, it's just our lodge area. You all been in there getting sweetened up on sugar and coffee and caffeine. We're going to have men and women in there who are going to pray for you. Those of you here may not even know it. We have people in a room in this church that are praying for you now, and they've been praying the whole service. They give up their service in here to pray for you so that those of you that are in here could hear the word of God that don't know Jesus and be changed. There's going to be people waiting for you in the lodge. If you hear the voice of God today and he's calling your name, dear friend, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So as I pray, and as we get up and we rush out of this place, please don't rush past this where people are waiting to pray for you this morning. Let's, let's all stand and we'll pray. <clears throat> all right. And if someone needs to get out, let them slide on out. I'm so glad that you all are here this morning. It is a great privilege to be your pastor. And I can tell you this, that I love you in Christ. And uh, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is one of the highlights of my life to be here with you on a weekly basis. Thank you all for all you do for Christ. And uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this day. And we are so grateful for your incredible salvation. Lord, you literally have placed us in your Son. And you have given us your Spirit here upon the earth, God, to live a brand new life. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak to them. And Lord, they'll know when you're talking to them. They'll sense your, your voice. And that, God, they would simply just run to you. And allow you to do the work of salvation and regeneration in their life. God, their life will never be the same. It'll be changed. Lord, for each of us that are here today that are in Christ, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're the one that's doing the transforming in my life and in our lives. Lord, help us to, to offer the parts of our bodies unto you. And Lord, this world is doing everything it can do to try to pack us into its mold. Lord, we have bombarded with all kinds of things through the visual and through the ears and through everything we see around us. The world is, is just flashing its light saying, come on, come like this, be like this, do this, join us. And all the while, your Holy Spirit is, 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 is asking us to say no to those things and simply allow the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of the Son. So, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to do that work in our life. Thank you for Jesus. Go with us from this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.